Welcome to Cultivating Roots, a podcast for sports turf managers, featuring Robbie Miller, Matt Parrott, and Clark Cox. Before we get started, we want to thank our 2020 partners. Without our partners, we would not be able to host local chapter events in North Carolina or South Carolina, or host the Southeast Regional Sports Turf Conference and Trade Show in Myrtle Beach. If you need help, please reach out to one of our partners. They're a great resource in North Carolina and South Carolina and throughout the Southeast. We want to welcome everybody today to our second episode. We're excited to host our first guest today. Last week, we spent the hour talking about ourselves, which was a little bit harder than I think any of us anticipated. Uh, Today, we're going to have Jimmy Simpson from the town of Cary and the 2020 president of the Sports Turf Managers Association. We've all worked alongside Jimmy for quite a while now, and we're really excited to support him as president of the STMA. Clark, I don't think that was the best introduction we could give Jimmy. Uh, Do you have anything to add to that and give him a a proper introduction to Cultivating Roots? Okay, our first guest ever uh, on the Cultivating Roots podcast is none other than Jimmy Simpson. Jimmy is a 2002 graduate of State University. He's got an agronomy degree, concentrating in turf grass management. Uh, Jimmy began his career as a full-time groundskeeper. He was actually the interim groundskeeper in 2001 while he was still in school. So that was quite a feat to be a AAA groundskeeper uh, while also finishing out his studies. Jimmy is currently at the town of Cary. He is the facilities management coordinator where he's responsible for the operations of the buildings and the grounds maintenance at USA Baseball uh, National Training Facility, Wake Med Soccer Park, Middle Creek Community Park, Mills Park Middle School, and other town properties. Jimmy's very active in our industry. and He's been involved in various industry groups over the years, uh, including Turfgrass Council of North Carolina. He's also been very active in STMA, which is uh, what we're going to talk about today and his roles there. He's past president of the North Carolina chapter of the Sports Turf Managers Association. He's also uh, and currently is the chair of the Southeastern Sports Turf Conference that we uh, have down in Myrtle Beach. And in 2014, he was actually named North Carolina State's College of Agriculture and Life Sciences Outstanding Young Alumnus. So, uh, a lot, of, a lot of accolades that Jimmy has and uh, uh, none other than, than, none more important than being dad and husband. Uh, he does an excellent job in those, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we go on. But uh, we'd like to welcome Jimmy Simpson. All right, Clark, thank you for that. You did a, a great job doing the research on it, and uh, half of that stuff I don't even remember. Um, I would say that uh, I am honored to be y'all's first guest uh, of this fantastic podcast adventure that you started on. It's truly amazing what all you've put together here and the opportunities that you're creating each and every day for the members of North Carolina and South Carolina STMA, as well as uh, national STMA and sports field managers all over the country. Yeah, and they're, and they're all important to me, the national and the, and the local. And uh, it, this has definitely been a trying time during this crisis. And uh, with the COVID-19 situation that everybody has been touched by, um, no doubt. So it's it's been one of those pieces that has really put a strain in many different places. And with the great people such as yourselves doing the podcast and with the town hall meetings at the national level uh, and all the different people who've collaborated to make 
all the resources available to membership. It, it's great to see the success that everybody is starting to have as we move forward with the recovery efforts. And, and I guess that's the great place for me to, to kind of get started is the, is the recovery efforts with STMA. Uh, it's been something that uh, when I was on stage at National STMA in West Palm Beach, I was up there looking at the crowd and talking about change and being able to change and making ourselves open to change. Uh, we are such creatures of habit as human beings. It's, it's hard to be open to change. And uh, little did I know that I was going to have to change the entire things that I thought I was going to be doing this year. Uh, and, and so it was kind of an interesting time to, to see that and be a part of that. And, uh, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't you know, thank the town of Cary for allowing me to work uh, with the STMA and with the NCSTMA and the Turfgrass Council of North Carolina all these years. And they really allowed me to use some of the time that I have at work to spend on these associations and how important it is to the industry, um, both for the town and for um, the associations. So currently in Cary, my role, and you brought this up in the in the beginning, Clark, was be the facilities management expediter is where I started in Cary many years ago. Uh, worked with a bunch of good people, and the USA Baseball Complex was just being built, and I had just left Columbia, South Carolina. And as I look at this podcast, I've worked with each one of you at different varying phases of, of our careers. And uh, it's, it's neat how this industry kind of weaves that web together and the friendships that, that we've all created and across the country and how that, that perpetuates itself each and every day into idea sharing. But as I get back to my role in Cary, the facility expediter, when I came in here, we were building the USA Baseball Complex. Uh, Wake Med Soccer Park was hosting the College Cups Final Four uh, is what the, is the men's and women's Final Four is called the College Cup for soccer. So it was one of those things where I had an opportunity to come in and do many of the sports I love and be around and played as I grew up. And it really brought me, it brought me home. I'm 45 minutes from home. So I get that uh, ability to, to shoot down the road and see family and my wife's family's right down the road. So it's been something that's been great to be here in Cary. Two and a half years ago, I had the opportunity to, to gain a promotion to be the facilities coordinator, uh, which expanded my role into the budget side of things into more project management side of things. And it's been uh, a great opportunity here with the town. I've just turned 14 years with the town of Cary in April, and I wouldn't trade a single day of it. it. It's been fantastic. I work with a great group of professionals, and they do some fantastic work that really helps establish who we are and, and what we hope to be. Hey, Jimmy, you touched on a little bit how we've all, at different uh, points in our careers, worked together. And three of us actually worked together at the same time with the Bulls, and you and I were actually classmates at State. One thing we talked about on our, our podcast last week was how we all originally got into sports turf. So what, what drove you originally to get into turf management and then move on to sports turf? So Robbie, that's a great question. Yeah, I, I got into sports turf and sports field management years and years and years ago. Growing up in Burlington, North Carolina, I loved to play baseball. Uh, travel baseball wasn't then what it is today, uh, so it was it was really cool. I got a chance to uh, play middle school baseball, played high school baseball, and my love for this truly started through baseball. Uh, my stepdad at the time was a middle school baseball coach, and 
I always would help them go work on the field. And we always worked on the field after practice as a team. And that's something that I think that I even encourage our little league teams that I help coach to do is we get out there and we rake the field and it's great to see the kids doing that. And that's what drove me to, to the love of this is I was a five, eight baseball player who didn't hit home runs back in the gorilla ball era. When, if you didn't hit home runs by, you know, 20, 30, 40 home runs, you really didn't have a chance to play the game at the next level. Um, I was recruited a little bit to play some division two, II, division three baseball. But at that time I made a choice to to go to NC State and, and work through the turf management program there because I knew I wasn't going to play anymore beyond college. So this was my avenue to still have an effect on the game. And I really hope as we continue to move forward as a profession that we continue to look for those athletes and those students who want to be around the game but don't know how to stay around the game after it's their opportunity has passed. We all find that point. Even the big leaguers find that point in our careers when somebody tells us we can no longer play this game uh, that, that we love. And so this was my way to tell those people, I might not be able to play it, but I can still have an, out, an effect on the outcome of each and every game. So that was truly my reason for, for getting into baseball. And I actually met Clark talking about how we all kind of cross-reference things. I met Clark years and years and years ago. God, it's almost been, what, 20 years, Clark, yeah. give or take? Good. When I walked yeah. out, I still remembered it like it was yesterday. I walked out onto Doak Field. Uh, my cousin, David Jones, and Clark were actually co-workers on the NC State football team as managers. And so, you know, through family connections and everything, Clark said, come on out and see me and uh, we'll see about working. We can't pay you, uh, but come on out and we'll see if you can if you can help us out. And so I took the opportunity, walked out in the middle of Doak Field at NC State. And I thought I was I had made it. Shook hands with Clark, which in today's world that would be frowned upon, but uh, for a great reason. Um, but shook hands with Clark. He said, yeah, we got a spot for you. Come on. And then about three days or four days later, I believe Clark hooked me up with a Kevin Robinson over at the Durham Bulls. Uh, and that gave me my in there as an intern that summer. So I never really worked with Clark beyond that day, uh, you know, until a few years later. But that, that's how I got into it. And, and I still have that passion and that love for everything today of being outside, seeing the, seeing the work we do affect other people in positive ways. And it's, it's really cool to see that. Jimmy, we uh, we all know how much you enjoy uh, playing golf. Did you ever? We talked about this last week on the on the podcast. But did you ever consider golf as an avenue in this in the turf industry, or did you ever work in the golf industry along the way, um, or was sports turf you kind of one track minded? Matt, I, I really one track mind this thing. When I went to NC State and was the sports turf person, they it was we were always talking about golf and golf and golf. And my love to play golf really affected my decision. And I did not think that it would I would be able me personally would be able to to enjoy around the golf if it was my course that I was playing on. I would be looking for deficiencies and just knowing my personality, I didn't think that would work out too well. So. Uh, I enjoy playing golf a lot. Don't get to do it near as much as I used to, but I enjoy playing it a lot. And, uh, and so I've, I have stayed away from the golf world um, pretty much throughout my entire career. That's exactly how like, we talked about it last week. That's exactly how I came into it as well. What's your handicap now, Jimmy? Oh, geez. Right now, um, <laughs> if I had to guess, I'm probably somewhere around a 12 to 15. 
I've, I've gotten it down to a, I've gotten it down to a four before, so I can't argue with that. But uh, it's been I haven't picked up the club since uh, pretty much West Palm Beach. Are we counting smokes or are we counting beers here? Well, you know, it depends <laughs> on who I'm playing with. For those of you who don't know, the STMA, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, STMA Conference in Myrtle Beach, uh, we always have a golf tournament down there, and it is a great time. Uh, it's it's uh, very little competition, but a lot of fun, and uh, something that I've got to enjoy with each one of you gentlemen on this call. And uh, Four good calls too, Jimmy. Absolutely. It's for student scholarships, and uh, we've raised well over $40,000 in the last seven years for student scholarships in North and South Carolina. So it's, it's been something that it's been exciting to be a part of. It's exciting to see it continue, and uh, hopefully we can continue to move that forward as well. Done nothing but grow, hasn't it? Uh, slam full. We're actually, you know, this, this crisis, COVID-19, we're, we're concerned of the effect that that's going to have. But last year we had 144 golfers and we actually stopped taking, uh, stopped taking registrations three, four weeks before the event. And, and I got to give credit where credit's due. Derek Walsh uh, with this town of Garner has really done a great job moving that along uh, on the golf side of things. Two golf courses this year, though. So we're going for double the players. 200 players is what we'd love to see. Talking about the golf tournament is a good segue and, and move us into your STMA journey. You know, I, I was, I received a lot of firsts in this industry from you, Jimmy, you know, working at the Bulls was my first introduction into sports turf. And then my role in the North Carolina board, you know, you introduced me to the board as well. And you know, we could probably keep going, but you know, how did you start out, you know, in the North Carolina board and, and who brought you along and started you in that, that process? You know, I've been fortunate to be on quite a few boards. I was on the turf grass center board first uh, for NC State and the research money that goes out and where that goes. So that kind of gave me my first taste of service to our industry. Um, I believe service is, is an integral part of what we do and how we give back as a profession, and that's what makes people professionals. Uh, I'm not saying that if you don't do these things that you're not a professional. That don't, Please don't take that the wrong way. But I think that's part of what continues to help everything evolve and grow for the future. Um, and, and everybody provides a service in one way or the other. So I was on the turf center board, uh, got to vote to spend money with research. That was great. Moved into the turf grass council, North Carolina board from that people I met on that board provided the opportunity for that turf grass council was not doing well at the time. Um, so really got to be a part of and, and help the group of great group of people turned that group around to where we went from something that was in the red, had to make tough decisions uh, to something that's now in the black and it's, it's thriving pretty well. When I was on the turf grass council, North Carolina board, I got a phone call and I knew of the Eastern North Carolina group, uh, sports turf group that Tommy Walston had put together. I knew of the Western group that Bill McLemore had put together. Uh, when those two gentlemen decided with Casey Reynolds to try to put a uh, chapter together for STMA, they reached out to me and asked if I would be on the board and charter member with them. And I said, I would gladly accept. So I give Casey, Tommy and Bill all the credit in the world for the efforts that they put in to this association in this state for a long time, much like Bruce Sutter down in South Carolina, he's, he's given his life to it. And, and those gentlemen have as well. So it's been, been really cool to see those guys and look up to them as we work them through the service piece. The North Carolina board at that time was a two-year deal, so it took it took a while as we were building things. Um, so became the president, was had the honor of doing that. Uh, and, and at that time, 
that's really when the Southeast Regional Conference was starting to take off. Uh, started out in that Southeast Regional Conference with 40 or 50 people at our first conference. And then last year we had over 400. Transitioning that to it is one of that first golf tournaments we ever did. Uh, and I told this story in West Palm is I was sitting there on the first tee with Jeff Fowler. And I've always asked Derek as part of the golf tournament, you know, that's, that's been my one request is let me, let me be on number one so we can, you know, finish right there on 18. And so I was sitting there on the tee box number one at, at Eastport golf club where Clark hit a window. Clark, would you like to explain on the span on the window that you hit in that golf tournament? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I and I hit a, an old lady's, uh, broke her window and she, she, uh, approached me about it after the fact snap hooked right into her living room, I think. And, uh, luckily the good folks at Vereen's, I think were able to help out and I didn't have to pay for said window, but, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think Elvis delivered a golf ball that night as well that was hit into her window <laughs> right at uh, at the social get-together. But yes, that, was did. Great, that was some great times. But I was standing on that first tee with Jeff Fowler, and um, I was just complaining about STMA National. Just they're not doing this and they're not doing that. And, and Jeff looked right at me and just straight-faced, and he said, Jimmy, just stop bitching and get involved. I said, you know, long pause. I said, Jeff, you got a good point, buddy. Uh, and once he said that, uh, I, I reached out and engaged the interest of, of the people on the board at the time and just let them know that I was interested in it. And uh, and from there, it's kind of history. I had the opportunity to be that, I believe I was at large elected the first time. And then, uh, so it's it's been a, an up and down route. And so it's uh, it's been something that I've really enjoyed something that uh, is, it's been the highlight of my career is to be able to work with the group on the boardroom at, at STMA for all these years, met a lot of great people that care a lot about our industry. And it's, it's been really nice to be a part of that. How would you recommend a young turf manager get involved either nationally or locally? You know, Robbie, I think every process is different, right? Um, I would encourage them to get involved locally first. I truly believe that the local organizations are the lifeblood of the national organization. Without those local organizations reaching out to their membership, we at national don't really have a good pulse on, you know, the entire country. Our country's huge, lots of different localities. And this COVID-19 crisis truly has shown how local everything can be. Uh, as we work on the road to or the route to recovery guide, we were looking at what do we do for California? What do we do for Florida? What do we do and how do we approach that? So uh, I would encourage a young person to get involved locally, be a part of that chapter, work through the board process, understand how decisions are made, what the direction of a board should be and get involved there. As that involvement continues to grow, the natural piece of that would be to move to the larger organization and, and, and keep growing their, their way. In that same vein, Jimmy, kind of to back up a little bit, uh, what would you tell someone, why do they need to join? Whether they be a young person or someone that's in the industry and not involved, why does that person need to get involved in STMA? The number one thing that I tell people, the number one reason for getting involved in STMA is the people that you can meet and the avenues that can open from that. Uh, from a st- Avenues from a standpoint of future jobs, future questions. The beautiful thing about STMA is I can look on our membership directory, whether it be national or local. I can pick up the phone and I can call somebody and just say, hey, Matt, I've got this problem. Have you had something like this at your field? And Matt may not know me from Adam, but he knows that, hey, I'm a member of STMA and and Matt will reach out and help. 
you'll get that call back. Very rarely have I ever had an incident where I didn't pick up the phone and call somebody and not get a call back within 24 or 48 hours from a text message. And that's the number one reason for me uh, is the association piece of the word, just the word association. It allows people to get together with like-minded goals and do something great together because we're truly stronger together than we are apart. Whether we're lobbying for uh, chemical pesticide usage on labels or we're lobbying for pay or we're lobbying for whatever that, that the group would be working on as an association. The more people that you have together in a like-minded scenario, the more likely you are to get the end result that you're looking for. Jimmy, I think that's, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with the networking right there. I mean, just in the amount of time that we've been on this podcast, recording this podcast, for example, I've gotten a call from a colleague in New Jersey on my phone and I've gotten a call from a colleague in California. Um, so I, I, I think that that's, uh, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head with networking and why to get involved. And, you know, I, I got involved later in my career, but a lot of it has to do with seeing your leadership and the way that you took, took involvement to the next level. And, uh, I think it's a, a great thing that you got going. One question that I had though, was how is, how does the national STMA play a role in the local chapters? on a, on a daily basis or, or, you know, I think a lot of people may be under the impression that the local chapters act as their own entity without a whole lot of involvement from the national chapter. But can you speak to that a little bit? Truly that's the way it works, Matt, in my opinion, is the, the, the local chapters are their own entities that operate and deliver messages the best way that they see fit. National in my goal was to hopefully get involved more, but we also, at a national level, don't want to be big brother telling you what to do and what not to do. Um, I, th I think people locally know what's best for their members. And I feel the national role is to support the chapters in any way we can. Um, we've actually this year, which was fantastic for me, two of the better calls I've been on was with the chapter leadership of every, pretty much every state or every chapter, excuse me. And just seeing the people hearing the issues that they are having and working together to build solutions for the national membership and the local membership has been truly the highlight of my, of my year so far. I've been fortunate to work with a lot of great people. The collaboration has been amazing. Um, but that working with those chapters was, was really cool. And it's something that I hope to continue to do. Um, but that's kind of the, I think nationals should be playing the supporting role to the chapters to the best of our ability. I was thinking on that topic there. What is, what, how is nationals helping local chapters and across the country with the COVID-19 situation? And, and, you know, we may be getting a little burnout on COVID-19, but let's, let's dive in just, you know, quickly on, on what nationals has done, you know, to support everyone. Sure. I'd be glad to talk about that. When, when this process, when COVID-19 first hit, there was quite a bit of push by people for STMA to do more. Why is STMA not reacting? Why are we not doing this? Why are we not doing that? And I will say, and I take 100% responsibility on that delay was on me uh, totally. I felt like that this was a humanitarian crisis. I felt like this was something that was far beyond sports field management. Where I did see STMA's role was in the recovery uh, efforts from this because people are having different levels of staffing all across the country. Some facilities are completely closed. Some are partially open and some are wide open. 
And so I really felt like holding the conversation until we were ready to start talking about a recovery was best. I felt it was best to leave it to the doctors and those who had more health knowledge than we did. Um, so that's one of the reasons we were delayed in, in a little uh, delay, I would say. The other piece is we created a task force uh, of seven individuals who have really come together. It's been industry task force from uh, commercial. We've had pretty much every level of our membership involved, uh, representative, representative from every level. And we started building the Route to Recovery Guide. And with uh, Dr. Miller's help and a, a lot of other folks' help, it's one of those things that, uh, and I go back to collaboration, the, the task force has been a major collaboration for us. And you look to the, the Route to Recovery webpage on, on National's website, and we have quite a bit of information there, um, quite a bit of new information. The town halls came out of the technology committee, which was really cool that they built that out and pushed it forward. New podcasts are coming out, technical and other styles of podcasts are coming out of National. So it's really an exciting time for us at, at the national level. Uh, I feel like this COVID-19 crisis has kind of kicked us into gear a little bit. And uh, it's been nice to work with each one of these individuals that has put forth a tremendous amount of effort. Yeah, I think we've seen that in North Carolina, too, that we've had a, a lot of ideas spring up because we're in a unique situation now. And, you know, we, we had the idea of the podcast back in uh, you know January, February. You know, but one benefit, I guess, of the of the situation we're in, we've had a lot of extra time. And it's really come together pretty quickly. You know, and I will say our industry is full of a bunch of doers. And I mean that in the best way. We are people who want to get stuff done. Um, idle hands is not something that a lot of our members know. We're, we're constantly working. We're constantly preparing for the next baseball game. We're constantly preparing for the next soccer match. The changeover from soccer to baseball, all those things, we are constantly doing something. And when our time became somewhat idle, because not everything stopped, but when we became somewhat idle, it's been really great to see how the industry has come together and created new and different ways to, to share ideas, to create new resources. Uh, that has all really come from this. And it, it comes on the backs of all the professionals that are involved in these organizations, such as, as you three gentlemen, you know, starting this podcast. This is, this is great. This is exactly, this kind of stuff is exactly what I was talking about when I was standing on stage about making change and doing things differently and reaching people in different ways. Because if we don't reach people in different ways, we're going to have the same membership today that we had 15 years ago that we're going to have 15 years from now. And this right here, this podcast, all the other resources, I hope will reach people in different ways and, and bring them into the word again, association. So where we all find that we have some goals that are like-minded and, and moving in one direction. Part of your STMA national role uh, involves Clark. So Clark, uh, do you have any, any inside on the Did national I get to president? ask Clark a question? Yeah, absolutely. So Clark, you've been on the STMA national board for a few years now. Year, this is year two, right? Yes. What, has, what, what have you seen uh, the national role being? What do you envision the national role being in the future versus where it was when you came in? Well, what I'd like to see is, I think, getting our, telling our story. Sometimes, and I'm, this is not being critical, FTMA is, is, is of our industry, right? Is we don't tell our story. And so what I'd like to see STMA do a better job of, and us as an industry, all of us individually could do this, is tell the world what we do and why we do it and how we do it. And uh, 
we're very humble people where a lot of times we do not take credit for the things that we do because of the humility that's there. But I, I think, I think that's something that as STMA, I'd love to see us get out the message uh, and whether that be through uh, various social media outlets, whether it be through just reaching out to other groups. Those are the things that uh, I think we're heading in that direction to let people know we have a group of people here that are dedicated, educated, that are leading the way as it relates to uh, athletic field maintenance and providing, in my case, student athletes or all of our athletes with, uh, with safe surfaces. And uh, they don't, those things don't happen overnight. There's a group of hardworking people that are smart, that are using innovative ways that are providing these surfaces in a manner that are sustainable and safe. And uh, that's, that's what I'd, I'd like to see STMA move towards is, is, is I, I don't think you can ever tell that story enough. So that's where I think we, we, we're moving towards that. And, and some of the things that, whether it be, you know, there's a lot of different ways now versus 20 years away ago to tell a story. You know, this podcast is a perfect example. We have the ability to, produce something and send it to everybody in the world now versus the single avenues that maybe existed a long time ago. But uh, but yeah, that's where I think I've seen uh, where I'd like to see us go. And and that's not just telling the story to our, uh, the people in in our industry. We need, and this is getting that word out to the stakeholders. uh, And and those are the people that need to hear what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, I agree. And I think we do in, in the industry, we do a great job of talking to ourselves Mm-hmm. Um, we, we struggle and I'm, I'm the world's worst. I, I own up to this more than anybody. And I bet Robbie and Matt can, can attest. I used to always say, if I go out get my job done and walk away and nobody sees me or talks to me or hears from me and the ball bounces good, then I did my job. And that's the way I approached it. And looking back on it, I approached it the wrong way. And, uh, so we have to continue, like you said, Clark. I agree wholeheartedly that we got to get our message out outside of our group. And it's and it's and you know we're our own worst enemies. And I'm gonna pick on Matt for a minute, but you know our our you know, Matt three time champ, three time winner of the International League Field of the Year, and we give him a hard time about that as buddies and as friends. But you know that is a great accomplishment, and more than anything, it's a great springboard for him getting a message out to not only the fans of the Charlotte Knights, but all of baseball fans is he's, he's won these awards. So it draws attention. And so there's an opportunity to tell the story of here's a professional guy who's there who is educated and he does things the right way. And we can, we tell our story through people like Matt Perry. I know he's got ad, he's got ad contract and everything, doesn't he? Exactly. I'm still waiting on. I'm still waiting on that check to come in. <laughs> I will say though, it, you bring up a good point, and and I'm not a big. Um, I, I haven't been a big social media guy uh, in the past, but I do have a Twitter account that is is a. It's not tied to me at all. It's it's tied to to our grounds crew and and Knights Turf, and it's actually pretty shocking the number of people who have locally anyway who have followed that that are not in our industry but are just either fans of the charlotte knights or people who who like to see what we do on a daily basis and um 
you know, I go through phases like everybody. I'll, I'll post some stuff and then I'll take a break and not post a lot of stuff what we're doing. But, you know, I think you have to get past the point of it of feeling like self-promotion because we're not big self-promoters in, in, in general in this industry. But there has to be some level of, you know, doing that to, uh, to promote our industry, especially with the younger people that we hope to come into it for a career. And uh, the, the bottom line is, is that if we don't get that message out to them, there's not much of an avenue for them to receive the message. And I think that a lot of us, the way that we got into this, we kind of stumbled upon it per se. So I, I agree with you, Clark, 100%. I think that focusing on the industry and getting the message out of what we do on a daily basis and what our role is to the organization, other than stereotypical, we just go cut grass is, is very important. So, And what our value is more important right. to our organizations at every level. That's right. And one of the other things I think that our industry is going to face and, and I hope that the STMA National can can help with, and I think we're headed in that direction, is, is education. When we look at education and we look at students coming out of four-year colleges and two-year colleges, our traditional paths that we've gotten employees, um, and we were all in the position in, on this call and on this podcast here, that we're all in hiring positions where we're hiring folks. Um, the number of resumes I'm getting is a lot less than it used to be. And how do we combat that with the colleges and universities continuing to, not all, but some are declining in, in the number of people that are there. So how, how does STMA become that leader to work through and figure out how we continue to find those students that I spoke about at the beginning that want to stay in this game, that want to stay outdoors, that want to be those things that, that can't either A, afford college or don't want to go to college. How do we find that and how do we fill that gap as an association? I think if we can do the two things, the education piece and the piece that, that Clark and Matt expanded on, I think I think this association will continue to grow to unforeseen heights or even unexpected heights, to be honest. Yeah. You know, I think, too, Jimmy, it, 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 where some people may argue that in some aspects, turf industry may have lagged compared to other industry. But, Based on what you just said, I, I think back to the online degree programs for turf. I mean, who would have ever thought, you know, when we were going to school, that you could ever, one, receive a quality turf education online? And so there are a couple of really good programs out there who have adopted that model. And I think that based on what we're going through right now, that's another that's another avenue that needs to be promoted because I think that you're going to see a lot more independent of COVID-19. I think that through all of this, we have seen that there's going to be a lot more online-based platforms for education across a lot of different industries. And it, I think it's important to show that we fit into that model and that we have fit into it for a number of years. So the world's definitely changing, to say the least. And we got yeah, to get the word out. Yeah, and I will say National's working on a, on a, a new kind of education program. Uh, I believe it's going to be called Sports Field Specialist. They're still working on all that. The committee's working through it. But it's to, to find that entry-level person who has some interest in this industry, that has a desire to be in the industry, but doesn't necessarily have the means, resources, or whatever reason, um, doesn't necessarily want to go to college. But they do have a desire to start their education. And there are a ton of great mentors out there, such as you three gentlemen on this call, that if one of these people who went through the, the sports field specialist program which is an online, much like you talked about, with a, a small certificate at the end, 
we get that on a resume. Okay, we know this person is interested in it enough to do this. They're looking for a mentor. And that's, that's where I think the rest of the professionalism and the association piece, once again, to come back to that, of, of what STMA is and what it can be, is the great part for those people that can learn as well. Uh, I know I learned a lot on the job. I walked out the first day after, uh, after my boss left and went on to the University of North Carolina. And it was one of the first times I'd ever watered the infield, but I was watering it for a triple-A baseball game. My hands were shaking. And we try to do that here at the town of Cary with our internship program. We'll put them on a sprayer. We put them in the stadium and we put them in high pressure situations, but we try to do it with them, beside them, provide guidance and tell them it's okay if they, if they mess up. We had a young man uh, who all, I know there's quite a few of us on here that have used the whacker roller, right? You know, there's a water tank on the back of the whacker roller that drops water on the drum. So it doesn't stick to the asphalt. It is not for gasoline. And we found that out firsthand because this, the intern that was with us, his, his job was to hand airify and, and roll the infield back down on the stadium. And he did. And he filled it up with gas in the water tank. Honest mistake. You know, the little cap's blue. It's got water. You know, But it's an honest mistake. And you know, what do you do when, when you have a mistake like that is you try to support that person because that, that could run somebody out of an industry. I mean, the stadium field, we had games coming. But what we did with that, with that individual is we sat down, we talked about it, we talked through it. Why did this happen? Well, we were in a hurry, okay, right? And then we said, okay, well, it's happened. What are the effects? And then how do we make it? How do we rectify it? And how do we make it look as good as we can for now? And how do we recover it? And I hope by the fact of that person working through that entire process, just working together, nobody's mad. It, you know, we all get frustrated, trust me. Uh, and I've had my moments, and I know you all three can attest to that as well. Um, but I think we all have those moments, and, and as we get older, uh, which I get reminded of daily that I'm doing by my kids, uh, it, it's one of those things that we find a different place, I believe, when we're dealing with that and, and understand that I made the same similar mistakes, and I would have hoped somebody would have dealt with them different with me. So try to stay even kill, have that conversation, and I, I think we have a lot of opportunities for people to be mentors to students and, and we can grow the educational component together. You talked about your kids, Jimmy. I, I can't let you get out of here without telling us a little bit about the boys. And uh, you're, I know you're the best damn youth basketball and baseball coach there is in Wake County. I guess you're in Chatham County. So uh, I'm in Chatham County. That's right. Yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit about the boys and, and, and Natalie and what y'all been up to. I would hardly say the best by any means. It has been fun. Uh, I've got an 11-year-old, uh, just 11 yesterday, matter of fact, uh, Jack. And then I've got Drew, who just turned six back in April. Uh, those two keep me going all the time, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, I coach soccer with them. I coach baseball, basketball. Um, I'm on the Little League, uh, our Little League Board of Directors here. So it, it, it's been awesome to be a part of that. And poor Natalie, my wife, she's, uh, we've been together. This will be 15 years in October. And we're supposed to go to Jamaica in July to celebrate. But so we're hoping that holds up. But, you know, bless her for keeping up with the three of us all the time. Three big, she's got three kids is the way I look at it. She's got uh, Jack, Drew, and myself. So they, uh, she's truly the rock of the, of the family. And, uh, you know, it's something, like I said, I wouldn't trade a thing in the world for it. They keep me, keep me worn out. 
my right arm is completely, uh, I think I've torn my rotator cuff from all the BP I've thrown to Jack and Drew both. Um, but they love the game, and, and it's really cool to see their love of the game. And uh, I'll tell a little story on Jack, and, and Drew's kind of doing this now. Is In first grade, Jack had to dress up as what he wanted to be in the future, and he wouldn't tell us what it was. He went in, he put on khaki shorts and a golf shirt, and he got his sunglasses, and he went to school, and he was a sports turf manager. And I tell you what, man, that broke my heart. I, I mean, it didn't break my heart in a bad way. It was so It was so touching. That it was just, you know, the kids, how much they look up to us. And uh, it really it really brought home the example that, that I'm setting for them. And it made me also go back to my work family, which is what I feel like we have here, 23 tremendous professionals at the facilities here in Cary, and how much everybody looks up to each other for support uh, in times that they need it. And, you know, they give support when when you need it. And uh, it's pretty neat how that kind of came full circle. You said you got to get off at 205, Jimmy? I'm good. I, I'll, I can stretch it to 210 at least if, right. as long as y'all want to keep talking. Oh, we can keep – this is good. We can keep going. Uh, I, I hope it's all right. I hope I haven't, you know, killed your deal. Great. Hey, hey, Jimmy, you remember the batter's box I put down my first night chalking batter's boxes in Durham? No. Go ahead and explain that one. You don't remember that, huh? Well, maybe. He says with a smile on his face. So, for those out there listening, I – Jimmy and I were at NC State at the same time, and um, I had worked for a team in Wilmington, North Carolina the year before, and then I needed something uh, to stay in baseball, and Jimmy brought me on over in Durham, and I only worked, what, about two months with you, and then I ended up packing up and leaving for my first uh, first head job in, in baseball, Newark, New Jersey, but Jimmy hired me, and he assumed, I, well, he, he thought I had experience and knew what I was doing, and so I think my first night there, I got to uh, take the chalk boxes out and chalk the batter's boxes. And it was the first time I'd ever used chalk boxes. They'd been through with me what, what I was supposed to do and what I wasn't supposed to do. Well, I did what I wasn't supposed to do and set the chalk box on the wrong side of home plate and went to chalk it and moved on to the next one. And Jimmy's getting ready to water the infield and he looks back and says, what's wrong with that chalk box? And there was a batter's box that was about two feet wide and that was my first night. And to speak to what Jimmy was talking about, making mistakes, that was, gosh, almost 20 years ago. And the way that he handled the situation was, I mean, I knew that he was upset, but nobody else in the ballpark could tell that he was upset. And, and we fixed the problem and moved right on. And uh, I didn't do batter's boxes anymore. I did clean dugouts and did stuff like that for a while. But I said, I'm going to show this guy. And two months later, went out and got a head job. And so it was Good times. I knew did you. you get your, did you get your batter's box right at your first one at your job? Well, I, I think so. I think we actually that was independent ball. I'm not sure if we even put batter's boxes back then. Um, I think <laughs> we just striped some foul lines and went on with it. So, oh no, it's it's been so great working with so many people over times. And and Matt, you go back to that time. I was 20, <clears throat> 21 years old, give or take 20, 21 years old during that piece. So. We were learning together, man. Yeah, we that's, right. that's right. And then you went on to win all these awards and stuff. So I'm just yeah. trying to keep up, buddy. I'm, I wonder if Robbie remembers that. Robbie was there that night too. So <laughs> I don't remember that one. I, I remember the uh, the one guy we had on the crew who didn't know how to stripe the third baseline and he'd go around the base. <laughs> I, like, I broke Jimmy in during the day, though. You know, I, I had a love for running the tarp over with the mower and, and tearing up the real mower. Yeah, well, we had green – we had no, uh, we had blue tarps at the time. 
And uh, Robbie was the one responsible for creating the saying, green is good, blue is bad. And that's how we uh, delineated how he mowed things. Mow the green stuff, not the blue stuff. I had to start taking the tarps off because <laughs> I kept hitting them. And Jimmy's like, if you hit that tarp again, you're not going to be here anymore. <laughs> Jimmy, how long, how, long, how long were you in Durham, Jimmy? Oh, about four and a half years. I interned there for a year and a half, and then uh, and I did the did it after that for about four and a half. Then was fortunate to go down with to Columbia, South Carolina, with Clark. I always had a, a goal. I knew USA Baseball was in town. My goal was to get back here to be a part of USA Baseball, be the head groundskeeper here at the National Training Complex, and uh, I knew I needed more than a single field experience. And, and Clark had the opportunity to open up. Uh, the time with the Bulls was fantastic. I was working with Scott Strickland, who is still there now. Um, done a fantastic job with the place. And so I knew it was it was August. I knew it was handled there. And I, I went down to Columbia, South Carolina, and got to work with Clark. And, and I'll, I'll go uh, – I always tell everybody, Clark's one of the best grass guys I know. So if I ever need anything grass-wise, I call him. But uh, you yeah, I was there for a while. What's that, Clark? I said you must not know many people. Not, just a few. Hey, what, Jimmy, what would you say as your role has evolved over the years and you're, you're more of a don't take a suit and tie guy now down there at the, the town of Cary, what, what's the biggest thing that you miss about, you know, kind of maybe it's back to your, to your baseball days or um, just about being out in the field every day? What's the biggest thing? What's the one thing that you miss doing that you used to get to do and you never thought anything about it? Uh, the one thing I miss the most is probably working the infield skin. That has always been my favorite thing to mess with and play with. And, and to see the technology and in infield skin management and how much that's changed over the last 10 to 10 years, five years, is, has been pretty cool. You know, I, I go back to when I went down to Columbia with Clark. We had glasscock clay down there, and that stuff was like playing with sticky gum. And But it was neat because everywhere you went, it was different. Every night was different challenge. Did you have rain coming? Did you not? And that, that's what I missed the most. I missed the most of walking out on the field after the game, looking at the infield skin and saying, I did a good job today or I could have done better. There's and, no, and just, there's, there's no wonder that you and Clark worked so well together because – for the listeners who listened to the last episode of this podcast, Clark made sure to mention how much he has a disdain for infield skin. So now I see why you guys were so successful. You, you hire people that are smarter than you. That's right. That's right. There's no doubt about that, Clark. That's the best advice I've ever been given. And if you look at the gentlemen that are currently working with us at the town of Cary, every single one of them fits that bill. They are all professionals, smart, educated uh, people that really take their job and the love of what they do and the passion, and they show it every day in the work they put out. It's, uh, it's really cool to see. But, yeah, Matt, to answer your question, that's it, man. I miss the, I miss the infield skins. Uh, that's what I miss. Well, I got one here in Charlotte that you're more than welcome to come work on anytime you want. Yeah, I've, I got a couple here, and the guys give me a hard time now when I come out and mess with them because I don't think I, uh, I don't have it anymore. I can still water one, but I, I can't quite get it where I want it. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, we want to thank you, Jimmy, uh, for your time today. We want to thank all of our 2020 partners. 
And uh, be on the lookout for our next podcast. We'll have uh, Chris Ball on, and we're going to be talking uh, for an hour or so about fails. We all have those, that's for sure. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. Thanks, Jimmy. Great catching up. Absolutely. See you, Jimmy. See you guys.